Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, surging inflation, falling rates, what all of that means to stocks and your money. We'll debate that with the investment committee as a very notable investor now says he is bullish. Joining me for the hour today, Courtney Gibson, Rob Seach, and Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It is 12 noon. Let's check the markets here in the east. Pretty good gains across the board. Dow's good for about 130. Nasdaq's the big winner, 1.5%, a nearly 200-point gain. There's the 10-year note yield. It's up, which means yields are down, 265. And Pete, I'll tell you what, I mentioned this notable investor, maybe... Scott Minard has been listening to Farmer Jim Labenthal because I spoke to him on overtime last night, and here's what he told me, and we can react on the other side. It's not a time to get really negative. Um, uh, there's a lot of interesting opportunities out there, both in the bond market and in the stock market. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, Scott, I don't know many people that are outright bullish here. And uh, so even though we have a lot of economic uncertainty, um, history tells us that, you know, this is probably a good time to be buying. Okay, Pete, counter view for certain. <laughs> Farmer Jim's been singing that tune. Is it time to get more yeah. bullish? Um, I think it's great to be cautiously optimistic. And I think when I say that, what I'm talking about is I think you've got to be, he mentioned the word opportunities. And that's exactly what we talk about all the time, right, Scott? We're talking about what stocks actually make sense at, this, uh, at the appropriate time. The other day I bought a stock. I hadn't bought a stock, and you and I were laughing about that just the other day. It took, I, I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually bought a stock as opposed to just going into the options and trading throughout that, that world. I continue to be pretty much in that camp of trading the markets right now because of the fact that the uncertainty levels are high. Volatility is higher than it was. We got under 20 for a while. Now we're kind of pressing between 23 and 24. I think it's a great opportunity from a trading perspective, though, Scott. When I look at it from trying to find the right stocks, I think it's really difficult. I think it really is. Uh, it, it's really difficult. You've got to really hammer through a lot of the different numbers and, and all the different names and different categories and decide which ones are going to be impacted most. Because like my brother John talked about yesterday, we may have peaked in inflation. That doesn't mean necessarily we go right back again. We could hold on to that for quite a while. And if that's the case, I think it's going to be a very, very choppy and volatile market for a while. I think that stock you were referencing was Goldman Sachs when we talked about it in overtime, yes, the one that you had bought. And again, Pete mm -hmm. doesn't do a lot of individual stock buying. As you know, it's, it's mostly a derivative game, uh, options that he plays. So, Farmer Jim, though, I, I have to turn to you, right? I thought the minor comments were especially interesting because he still thinks we're going to have a recession. But he thinks it's going to be a couple years away. And there's a long enough runway before we even have to start thinking about it because the economy is so strong now that it's bullish for stocks. And not only does he think it's bullish for stocks, 
He's actually buying in his personal portfolio, he said, which I thought was the most telling thing that he said. He's putting his money where his mouth is in his own personal portfolio, and he's buying growth. He's buying cyclical stocks. I think he's been listening to you. Well, I, you know, look, I'm not going to lie to you, Scott. I took a great deal of comfort from hearing what Mr. Minard had to say because I have been feeling a little bit on an island here. But when you're on an island, that gives you a chance to be introspective and say, hey, am I getting it wrong? Now, I certainly see the Fed's change of stance. But what I also see, and I think what Mr. Minard is seeing in the stocks that the type of stocks that you mentioned he's buying, is that economic growth right now is pretty strong. And we'll get into some earnings reports later. I don't want to telegraph that now. But when you think about consumer balance sheets and corporate balance sheets, they're pretty strong and they're indicating that consumers and corporations are spending. So yeah, look, at some point we're gonna get a recession. But boy, I just don't see it on the horizon, not with the economic statistics that I'm seeing. Think about last week's jobless claims, nor with, um, you know, earnings that are just starting to come in. This is day one, so I don't want to get too giddy about it. Uh, But I just see more positive signs than negatives. And that's simply it. I see more positive signs than negatives. Mm -hmm. I see the negatives. I see more positives. I hear you. I hear you. Um, And this is a today versus tomorrow call. There's reason to be positive today. There's reason why you see so many more positives than negatives today. His point is that eventually the Fed is going to have to do what it's going to do. It's going to put us into a recession. But right now it doesn't really matter because you can have rates moving higher. You can have the Fed being aggressive now and stocks can still go up. And oh, by the way, Courtney, uh, he said again, he reiterated what he said a month ago on CNBC. He likes PayPal. He likes Block, former Square. He owns both of those personally. And oh, by the way, you're adding to Block as well. I did. Uh, good afternoon, Scott. So good to see you as always. You know, it's, it's a very interesting time, and, and I oftentimes agree with my friend over there, Mr. Jimmy, as well as Pete. And candidly, less bad is good, as our, our friend Tom Lee would love to say. Right now, we are in a very interesting time where we're seeing consumer balance sheets extremely strong, which obviously is two-thirds of GDP. We're seeing, though, simultaneously a slowing in that real-time live data around electronics and other large purchases like cars, right? So it's kind of like, what do you do here? I personally am adding to positions I've been strong in and been a holder of for a while. I did add to block. I do think it's undervalued, both from a fundamental perspective as well as a sentiment perspective. And we have to think about how that's occurring. Same thing with Pete. I own Goldman Sachs, which I know I'm sure we're going to talk about financials as we kick off this earnings season. But I am adding to quality names that will weather this storm over the long term, because the uncertainty in the short term is just something that I don't have a crystal ball to predict. You know, I find that you guys are making a lot of moves um, all of a sudden. You know, Joe, for example, you bought Chipotle back, right? You used to own it. You bought it back. Now, you trimmed AbbVie to make that purchase. But talk me through the reasoning of why Chipotle stood out to you right now that you need to buy it. And we're going to talk about another one, too. But give me that one first. Well, first of all, I, I agree with Scott's comments. Um, I, I don't think we are in the initial stages of a bear market. So I'm looking for opportunities. I agree with what Courtney's saying, opportunities where you could find quality. And I also agree with the near term is still very clouded. We had that break below the 50-day moving average yesterday, and you had a technical sell-off. So 
in the near term, I don't know the market direction. What happened this morning is AbbVie is a stock that I have owned since November of last year. I purchased it at 115. You know that I study momentum. You had three consecutive days where AbbVie experienced what we call range expansion. That means, Scott, on a daily basis, the range uh, is much larger than what you've witnessed over the last two years. And the stock went up 8% during that period. Well, that was quickly negated. It was completely eliminated by three negative range expansion days. So I had to take half that position off. I had funds. I studied my portfolio. I said, where am I, from a strategic perspective, missing something? And it's towards growth. And I wanted growth at a reasonable value. I looked at consumer discretionary. I've listened a lot to Brian Nichols' comments over the last several months. And I think Chipotle, again, citing what Courtney said, really, less bad is good. Chipotle is actually able to endure this inflationary environment. Fast casual seems to have some resiliency. There's some brand recognition. And there's the efficiency of the way management is navigating this inflationary process. So I took the funds from AbbVie, very happily put them into Chipotle, uh, and it elevates my exposure to growth, which is something I was looking to do. Now you also bought Palo Alto, which, by the way, I mean, Dan Ives is probably jumping up and down cheering at this because he's called this a table pounder. I've had him on overtime where he has talked about that. Why Palo Alto right now? Uh, it, it, first of all, I own Fortinet in Joe T. So I do have limited exposure to the theme of cybersecurity. But Dan Ives, Josh Brown, Jim Cramer, they have all been talking about it. And I forget, if I forgot anyone, I apologize. But cybersecurity is such a dominant theme in 2022. Um, Palo Alto is a way to add to that cybersecurity exposure. Listen, if you want faster revenue growth and higher beta exposure, and if the market from here is going to appreciate significantly, CrowdStrike is the better trade. But I kind of wanted to trade down a little in the beta exposure. I wanted to get growth at more of a reasonable price. That's what Palo Alto will deliver for you. It's got to focus on the firewall. I'm very happy to own it here. I think it breaks out significantly beyond $700. Okay. Uh, Rob Seachin is making some moves as well. You bought Blackstone, so you got a little private equity action going on there, and you bought more United Health. So again, mm -hmm. it's got like Minard's talking about you can buy stocks here that you have runway to do so, and I feel like you guys are, are doing that, um, including Seach. Why these? Yes, I just want to comment on the, uh, the environment too first, Scott, because it'll lead to what we're doing. Um, the positives are known and need to stay strong, and the negatives are known and need not to get worse. And I think there's a greater risk that the negatives get worse than the positives stay strong, but it's clear that the market's trying to make a bottom right now. We, we've rallied them the last few days and gave it up. We'll see what happens today. But this is a trader's market, and we're trying to take advantage of the volatility. So with Blackstone, here's a stock that share price is down 25% from last year's highs. It's been caught in the recent market turbulence. It's the largest retail beneficiary 
from the uptake in their exposure to, to liquid private markets. Um, they've created a lot of perpetual vehicles. And while it trades at a slight premium to the group, it's still a very strong blue chip company to add uh, to, to uh, initiate a new position in. Um, United Healthcare, a little different. We, we own it. We like healthcare. Healthcare has historically been one of the top performing sectors following a uh, following a yield curve inversion. I think people get a little defensive. In this case, it's it's nice because healthcare is able to protect some of the margin uh, that we that we always talked about. And as we increase the quality in our portfolios and get a little defensive, UNH is a great is a great way to do that. It, it, it's dominant in the top three uh, end markets in this country, commercial, um, and me Medicare and Medicaid. Right. So, you know, it doesn't mean you sit on your hands when things are tough. Yeah. So, you know, Pete, it's not like, you know, you guys are all making moves and you don't expect, you know, this volatility or, or turbulence to continue. Um, like Jamie Dimon was saying today on the, the J.P. Morgan yeah. call, quote, no chance you won't have volatile markets, right? I mean, we're not suggesting, nor is Scott Minard, that the market's just all of a sudden going to go straight up because we finally can come to grips with the fact that the, the Fed is raising rates in a very strong economy. And you may, in fact, have that kind of runway that, that he's been talking about. I want you to listen, by, by the way, because Bullard today uh, was out to the FT saying it's fantasy to think that modest rate rises will tame inflation. And look, he's been probably as hawkish as anybody. And he's, you know, whether he represents a broad view of the Fed, you know, who knows? So we're going to find out in May what the Fed does. But I thought what else Minard had to tell me yesterday, I want you to listen to this too, Pete. I want you to react to it again mm -hmm. about sort of this counter move to what most people are thinking. Let's listen. Every time I hear another Fed member talking uh, extremely hawkish about action, whether that be rate cuts or shrinking the balance sheet, the more bullish I get. And the reason for that is when you start to look at rates, uh, when the Fed starts to raise rates and the curve inverts, uh, we see the long end, typically 10-year uh, note yields fall by you know between a half and three quarters of a percent. If we have long rates fall, that's going to make a lot of stocks look a lot more attractive. Right. How about that? I mean, look, he, he the last time he was on suggested that the 10 year is going to fall into a range of, you know, maybe it'll top at two to, to two and a, and a quarter or, or so. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. it overshot that. Uh, but he thinks, as others do as well, that maybe you've topped in the 10 year, you know, at 277 or, or wherever the exact top was. And now you're going to start sliding back within that range which he says makes a lot of stocks more attractive. I see you buying Apple calls. I see you buying Chevron calls. I see you buying Apache calls. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not very committed right now, Scott. Um, I'm not totally buying in to what Mr. Minard's talking about necessarily because of the fact that, you know, when we, we have seen this been playing out for a while now, right? I mean, we've watched the tenure as it's been making this kind of a move, and I, I would expect that we might even see it get up and over that three level, not too distant future. Um, so because of that, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a comfortable time necessarily to find too many stocks that are uh, at the right levels. And I think it will see some beatings into the market still. doesn't mean we have to test those 52-week lows. Everybody always wants to ask that question. Well, will we test that? I, I don't know that we necessarily have to do that, but we certainly could have markets just like we did yesterday where all of a sudden things turn and they move to the, the opposite direction. So because of that, 
That's why I think it's such a trading market. I mean, it is truly opportunities. And you know this, but I've owned Apple, I've owned Microsoft, and I own a lot of these various names. And I have been only trading around those with the options. And that's where, that's where I think it's really made uh, the most sense for me. Because quite honestly, we had a great move up at, in Apple. But unless you absolutely had an ungodly timing, if you did that through stock, it would have been very difficult to be able to catch both the bottom and the top at all. With the option uh, opportunities that we had out there and the signals that we were seeing, that really helped create something that really showed us. And, by the way, when they were buying a lot of the options that they were buying recently in some of these names, whether it be Facebook or Microsoft or Apple or some of the big tech names, they were all short term. They were all definitely expiring either April 1st or April 8th. I mean, they, they were not extending out. We did just get a buyer of Apple once again. Hmm. So I jumped back in just yesterday. So huge buying again, 21,000, looking for more upside in Apple. So yeah, I'll jump on those calls, but I don't think you necessarily have to start positioning in. Otherwise, you're going to get stopped out every time we get one of these pullbacks. If you're in the stocks, you're going to get stopped out more often than you could imagine. But Court, what am I supposed to do, you know, even amid some people trying to get more bullish with, with J.P. Morgan, for example, um, which again, Starts off earnings season with a whimper. New 52-week low. Lowest since January of 21. Profits down 42%. Lower fees, higher expenses. Trading revenue down 3% from a year ago. Loans are up. $120 million loss on nickel exposure. Um, what am I supposed to do now thinking, well, I was hoping earnings were going to get off to a good start. Now i got a whole slew of banks. Do I have to worry about everybody now? Well, Scott, the answer is no. You don't have to worry about everyone. And candidly, you probably shouldn't be worrying about J.P. Morgan because Jamie Dimon is an incredible CEO. There's a reason he's been at the helm of that bank. And what you will find out, and, and Farmer Jim and I have talked about this, Jamie tends to be cautious, which is what you want from the, the 11th largest bank in the world to be in a potential time of uncertainty. You do not want Jamie risking that for shield of a balance sheet that J.P. Morgan has on a whim. So, candidly, I think he's under-promising and over-delivering. But what the read-through is going to give you on the banks, in my humble opinion, is going to be they're going to learn from what Jamie said that has the, the, the markets a little nervous about the space right now, and they're going to adjust those earnings call comments accordingly. I do believe that there is an opportunity in the financial sector overall. I do also believe that there is safety in the numbers. So those bigger banks are going to do well. Those banks with a diversified business mix are going to do well because they can make money even though we're seeing some challenges in some areas of those banks. Goldman Sachs, Again, we bought that. We talked about it. Mm -hmm. Goldman Sachs, I think they are going to do well, even with the capital markets coming in a bit on the underwriting and on some of the um, equity issuance and M&A activity. Trading is a huge business. They've diversified into wealth management. They have multi-trillion dollar asset manager that's on that balance sheet. Think about what that looks like. Think about, you know, I think uh, this morning Jim Cramer was talking about the custodial banks. Emily Portney, the CFO there, incredible CFO. Look at those places where you can actually invest in high-quality management teams, businesses that have a diversified mix to weather these storms, right. and exchanges. And I'm just going to touch on this one again in financials. The movement of money, as volatility increases in these markets, whether they go up or down, People who make money on that movement of money, I believe, are going to do well. So pay attention going forward and listen to how they're guiding you in the quarters that we have ahead versus what's happened in the rearview mirror. All right. We're going to bounce for a couple of minutes when we come back. Today's halftime headliner, BMO's Brian Belsky. We'll find out how he is positioning now for earnings season, whether he agrees with Mr. Minard 
I mean, he's got a big target on the S&P. Does it hold up? We'll talk to him next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I mentioned the man with the big S&P target. He's our halftime headliner today. BMO's Brian Belsky is back with us. It's good to see you. Welcome back. You know, I think about this minored stuff. Every time I hear another Fed member talking hawkish, the more bullish I get, it's not time to get really negative. I close my eyes and I think of you. I can hear your voice in my ear suggesting the same exact thing, which you better be doing because you have 5,300 to remind people on the S&P 500. I am, Scott, and thank you so much for having us. I'm humbled to be mentioned in the same sentence as Scott Minard, who's a, traditionally a bond person, fixed income people. And as you know, fixed income people are way smarter than us equity people. So, so listen, uh, I like the old days of when uh, the Fed members just dissented. Uh, I think they're using the bully pulpit now more than ever, and meaning social, the social network to come out and talk about what they really feel. And although Bullard did dissent the last meeting, you could be seeing more dissension going forward. But Bottom line, the bond market is what you should be watching. The bond market's done a wonderful job and has already done the Fed's job for it. And so I'm with Mr. Minard. I think, the, I think there's a very good chance the 10-year uh, has likely bottomed, uh, I'm sorry, topped, uh, and you're going to see a pretty nice rally uh, in, in prices here, which would build confidence, I think, for the overall stock market. So you think that the stock market, I mean, how much do you think the stock market can really go up in the, in the near term? Right. We're not suggesting that it's just going to go unabated higher. There are still legitimate risks. I mean, news can move the markets in a, in a flash. If anything comes out of Ukraine, Russia, uh, who knows what other hawkish comments you may get out of the Fed, all, all that's going to influence. Absolutely. And, and I'll remind people that when we published our year ahead piece for 2022 back in November of 2021, we said, 2022 was going to be the year of the second derivative. That's a fancy way of saying less positive returns, less positive earnings growth, more volatile returns. Uh, all of that has happened. We obviously didn't, didn't know about the war in Ukraine. You and I have spoken several times before that we continue to believe that the market is being a little bit laissez-faire with respect to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Be that as it may, if and when we have some sort of a positive resolve there, and the markets are going to be up 3 to 5% on that day, number one. Number two, um, and Powell was very clear about this uh, during his last press conference following the meeting, that the Fed's base case was that inflation was going to be peaking late in the first quarter. And so we get a positive resolve to the war. We can move on. Now, I do think that we're, we're, the first quarter earnings are going to be the, the supply chain blame game. If you take a look at fourth quarter numbers, they're up over 4%. They've improved four percentage points since the beginning of the year, and overall 2022 numbers are up 2%. 
since the beginning of the year. So I think that numbers are going to be better the second half of the year than people think. I think the market could be volatile here as we try to find a range in bonds. This is all about stock picking, all about fundamentals, all about themes and buying management teams and longer term kind of success running those companies. Okay, all about stock picking. So do, do I want to, if I believe you, that stocks can in fact go higher and I believe Minard when he says that it's time to be bullish. Do I want to play defense or offense to, to get to that point? Defense being, do I want to stay with things like staples, utilities, and the more defensive spaces? Or do I want to play offense, like he suggested, and go back to growth and back to cyclical stocks, which everybody was worried about because of the trajectory of the economy? Great question. You know, staples and utilities are amongst the most expensive assets in the S&P 500. Now, what's really funny is some of the staples that are traditionally defensive, meaning the foods and, and the like and some of the household products, they're expensive. But if you take a look at how the sector is composed, Scott, uh, Costco and Walmart are the best companies uh, in that sector. I think Costco is a top 25 company in the world, and Walmart is actually more of a value stock because of, of of the dividend that it pays. I think utilities are expensive, but they're going to be important with respect to the infrastructure going forward in terms of energy. I don't think you sell them all. I think you kind of tilt more toward renewable energy. You remember, five out of the last seven interest rate cycles, when the, when the Fed has increased rates and or the 10-year Treasury has rallied in terms of yields, technology's outperformed. I think, you, I think we've forgotten about that. Lastly, if you're looking for stability, uh, the most stable earner in the S&P 500 are those big secular tech growers. I think that's why they've caught a bid here as of late. They should be part of your longer-term portfolio. We're overweight tech for the next three to five years. Oh, I'm neutral uh, for, from now until the end of the year, given the volatility that we've seen in the overall tech that's sector. What I want to just point out the overall market right now. I mean, you got almost 200-point gain on the Dow. you got a better-than-200-point gain uh, in the NASDAQ. So we're... we're Basically, highs of the day. Look at the NASDAQ gains. Pretty strong there. There's the Dow. Yields are down, as we said. 267 is the yield now on the 10-year. Joe T., you have a question for Brian? Yeah, I do. Brian, take that one step further. A lot of people have commented that once the market is able to find its footing here and begins to significantly appreciate that, that investors should go right back to the hypergrowth, whether it's Teladoc, Peloton, Zoom, those extreme valuation companies, is that going to be the right strategy? I don't think so. Uh, I think you want to own kind of both growth and value, more growth at a reasonable price. And that doesn't mean uh, not owning dividend growth. I think it does. I think the, the higher multiple names, uh, especially those without cash, are going to have a hard time, Joe. I really believe that. And the market's actually done its job in terms of discriminating against those high multiple names. Should you completely abandon them? No. I think when everybody hates something like that, that's when you want to get in. And so I don't think the hatred there is quite, uh, quite there yet because everyone's trying to bottom fish these names. And the more I hear about bottom fishing, the more I think you're probably going to see in increased volatility. Hey, Brian, I appreciate it. I got to bounce, but I'll talk to you soon. That's Brian Belsky of BMO again with us. Stay with us. Pete has unusual activity coming up. We'll do it next. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, 
drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. I'm Courtney Reagan. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The government's mask requirement for passengers on airplanes and other forms of public transportation is being extended by 15 days. That's despite calls from airline carriers to let it expire as scheduled on Monday, next Monday. The CDC wants more time to see if the current increase in cases from the BA2 variant will result in more hospitalizations and deaths. The presidents of Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia and Poland are, are in Kyiv to meet with Ukrainian President Zelensky and other government officials. They'll be talking about mil- military and civilian assistance and the investigation of war crimes. Zelensky today urged Estonia to back harsher sanctions on Russia. In a virtual address to the country's parliament, he urged Estonia to support a European Union oil import ban and a complete blockade of all Russian banks. And after hearing a whining sound from under the rubble of a destroyed building in eastern Ukraine, rescuers used their bare hands to pull out a puppy that had survived the attack. Its owners said he thanks them for doing everything quickly and promptly to save his dog. You don't see a lot of good news coming out of that area of the world. I'm happy to report that one for you. Scott, back over to you. All right. That's Courtney Reagan. I appreciate that. All right. It's time for unusual activity. Pete, tell us what you see, please. All right, I'm going to start off with Merck. And the reason I'm starting there, Scott, is we have seen a a huge amount of option activity of late in the healthcare world. And we've had Pfizer, we've had Merck, we've had all kinds of different names, Cardinal Health. This one, it started really back in the end of March. We started seeing buying. Stock was trading around 78. They were buying the 85 calls. They had three since then where we've had unusual option activity, today being one of those. Bought about 14,000 of the May 87 and a half calls. So they're going out to May, getting a little bit of time on this, and those are going for about a buck 50, 14,000 of those. Arc Innovation, we're seeing some call buying in here, Scott. Matter of fact, it was trading right around 61 bucks. They bought 5,000 of the April 29th expiring 61 calls. So they're buying right on top of it. Now there's a whole complicated spread that goes with that. But just to make it a little bit simpler, they're looking for something bullish to happen here, and they're looking for a nice move to the upside. Those options were going for about $2.50. Lastly, energy, energy, energy. It continues to hit. We've had hits today in Marathon Oil. We've had it in Diamondback. We've had it in Devon. Southwest Energy is the most interesting one for me, though. It's trading about $8, and they bought 20,000 of the May 7 calls. Now, why would they do that? They get a little bit more leverage. Rather than buying at the money or out of the money calls, they're getting leverage. They're going to move as the stock moves to the upside, if that's the case. So I continue to be very, very, very overweight in the energy sector. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you very much. Shares of Delta soaring after earnings. Courtney Gibson owns it. There's the move, 5%. Now, another member of the committee is buying the stock in their personal account. I will disclose who that is next. I mentioned Delta shares. They are surging today after better than expected first quarter results. There's the move. Better than 5%. I mentioned somebody was buying it. It's farmer Jim Labenthal. 
Jim, you told our producer that you bought it in his, your personal account. Now I come to find out you bought it for clients. Now I'm confused. So why don't you clarify exactly who you bought it for, Jim? I will clarify that detail, but I don't want it to miss the big picture. I have a fiduciary duty for clients to go first. I talked to my compliance team this morning and they said, listen, you got some new accounts that have capital still. They don't have enough Alaska Airlines. If you're bullish on Delta, add it as well as Alaska Airlines there. Now, here's the bigger picture. Scott, when you hear a CEO like Ed Bastian talk the way he did this morning about demand for his product, you have got to pay attention. I mean, the man was, was positively giddy in how he was describing the last five weeks, highest sales and bookings in the company's history. And he sees that demand continuing on through the summer. There are times where a CEO speaks, and this is no new CEO who's about to learn the hard way, the value of tempering his words. He knows what he's doing. He is telling you things are extraordinarily good here. It extends to the rest of the airlines. That's why I'm perfectly happy with Alaska Airlines. And it extends to Boeing as well. Things are very good in the airlines, by the way, that's a pretty good tell of the strength of the consumer. So that's why I'm starting a position in Delta now. Oh, just to be clear, I mean, look, you, you have not owned another pure airline stock besides Alaska, frankly, for as long as I can remember. So it says something to me that, you buy, that you buy this one. Yeah. And, you know, Scott, thanks for asking me about that, because if you've flown Delta, you've noticed. I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone. I certainly have. There is a quality of customer service there that is clearly distinguishably higher than everybody else. Alaska Airlines has great customer service, too. But I'm telling you, Delta is doing something different than the rest of them. It makes me want to fly them. I, I prioritize them and Alaska Airlines wherever I can. Okay. We got a, a session high move there for DAL. Uh, Courtney, you own Delta as well. I absolutely do, Scott. And we've talked about it for a while now. There are two things I'm, I'm like a broken record on great management teams and forward guidance. And those two things are so important right now in the market that we are in. And both of those areas, Delta is killing it on. They just told you they're going to have double digit profits going forward. Think about what that means for the airlines and that giddiness that Ed Bastian um, and, and Jim picked up on is really due to that look-through. That giddiness from those bookings from last quarter are being driven by the consumer, and the business traveler has not even fully come back yet. Imagine what that looks like. So I think this is definitely a name that you want to hold for that very reason, and, and not just a trade, but as a long-term holding in your portfolio, at least for the foreseeable future as we look to really um, expand upon what we're seeing in the travel space and the trend that is travel. People are tired of sitting at home. What jumps out to me, Pete, about your commentary that you gave our team today, I fear that the strong demand could be temporary. I mean, you have calls in mm -hmm. Southwest. You bought JetBlue calls last week, and you do have the Jets ETF yep. calls as well. Right, all of which are fairly short-term, Scott, not going out any further than May across the board for all of them. So, uh, you know what? I have noticed one thing, and uh, Jim, you're right. The customer service is phenomenal. I fly Delta all the time. I love the airline. I like a lot of these various different airlines, but I think Delta is number one right now. The problem that I see potentially would be well, people were pent up, right? But people have kind of gotten some of that out of their system. They had the greatest march on record. So you almost wonder, is this as good, good as it gets? Everybody here earlier was all talking about the peak in inflation. Well, have peaked inflation? Maybe we've peaked a little bit in the airline travel. I'm not saying that we have, 
But I'm saying that is a possibility, so I'm not quite as giddy as everybody else. As a matter of fact, my last three flights on Delta have been half full. Just to give you a little bit of an example, that was not the case in the previous three months where it was always absolutely sold out and packed, and they wanted to buy my ticket. So that's why I kind of scratch my head a little bit and say, you know what? Maybe this is starting to slow down. We'll know a lot more after we get through spring break and all of the different travel that we've had in March. It'll be interesting to see as we get into the summer months. Farmer Jim, I'm told you're waving your hands like you need to say something. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Pete. Listen, it's a great point. The answer to which is international travel is still 55% of what it was in 2019. If and when testing requirements are removed or lightened up, there's a pretty good chance that international travel is going to shoot through the roof. That's what you should be looking for if, and I'm not sure that it's right, but if domestic demand drops off. Okay, we'll take a break. We come back. Semi stocks in the spotlight in today's call of the day. We'll give you those trades straight ahead. All April, CNBC celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here's former New Orleans mayor, National Urban League president, and CEO Mark Morial on why he prefers the term financial empowerment. Here at the National Urban League, we prefer the term financial empowerment to the term financial literacy because most Americans, they do understand and know about money, and they do have a basic understanding of the financial system. They're not empowered fully to confront the complexities. We like to talk about the goal, and the goal is for people to be financially empowered. Okay, NVIDIA, it's down nearly 40% from its 52-week high. The stock did get an upgrade today to buy at New Street. Price target, 280. That implies a 25% upside from here. Rob Seachin, you, uh, along with many others, own NVIDIA, which has been the subject of debate lately. I remember a downgrade a day or two ago. Mm -hmm. we, we, we got into this name uh, because we believe in their strategy growth and continued dominance in areas of the semiconductor business that make us think that the company's on par with developing a competitive moat like the, uh, like the FANG names. And it's, it's really not hyperbole to say that it's one of the most important companies in the world. Um, very few companies are so advanced in artificial intelligence applications, uh, autonomous driving, gaming, crypto mining, and data centers. I mean, I mean, it is just the bell of the ball in this space. So we've owned it for a while and anticipate that we will continue to own it. For Joe, I mean, you know, I think the, uh, the downgrade the other day was, you know, on slowing demand. Um, Deutsche Bank is talking about macro uncertainties today as to why they have lowered price targets on applied materials, KLA 10 Corp and LAM Research, um, not by, you know, leaps and bounds for each of those names, but nonetheless, they're taking targets down. You own NVIDIA, mm -hmm. and again, push-pull on this stock, down do. 40%. What am I supposed to do with that today? Well, for, first of all, speaking about NVIDIA and adding to what Rob just said, AI, Omniverse, Automotive, March 22nd, they had an investor day. Jensen Wong laid out a tremendous long-term growth strategy, and guess what? market didn't care. Why? Because the semis are used as taking the temperature of what the macro environment is. And that's unfortunately the reality of where we are in the environment right now. Uh, so what you're trying to do with that is you are trying to allocate towards a lot of the semi names that have the growth at a reasonable price. I own AMD. I own NVIDIA. 
and allow for this process of time where we've got these macro headwinds that are going to dominate the semi-industry more than any other industry within the equity market, unfortunately. You know, I, I just want to touch on the overall market again. I'm just looking as we're having this conversation. Now the Dow is up uh, about 245 points. There you go. 244 and change, uh, 34,465. That's three quarters of 1%. The uh, NASDAQ's good for almost, well, now they're up the same amount. 245. That's interesting. Um, and that's just shy of 2% move for the NASDAQ. Um, so we got a nice little move today. Let's do this. Let's mm-hmm. take a break. We'll talk about casino stocks getting whacked lately. Our Contessa Brewer is live in Vegas. Contessa. Well, Scott, you've got record-breaking profits on the strip. Yep. You've got leisure travel helping casinos set records. Check. Rebounding conference business, international travel resuming, check, check. So why this disconnect between how casinos are doing and how their shares are doing? You have questions, I have answers. Ahead on the Halftime Report. The peak inflation story in full effect today, for certain, after that hot PPI read, stocks are higher. You have some people, notable names over the last 24 to 48 hours suggesting that they think inflation has peaked and maybe the market's trying to buy that story as well. Dow is up nearly 250. Nasdaq's up nearly 250. And there's the S&P good for 40, almost 41 points. That would be a 1% uh, gain uh, for the S&P 500. Casino stocks, they're rallying today too. Our Contessa Brewer is live in Las Vegas with a look at the state of gaming. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Scott. Yeah, gaming stocks are having a good day today, but boy, have they been punished this year in spite of a first quarter that will likely set records. Nearly $9 billion in commercial gaming revenue in January and February alone, according to the American Gaming Association. That's across uh, all of the U.S. Las Vegas has had particularly strong forward bookings. Average daily rates are setting new records every month for the last year. But look at the biggest operators on the Las Vegas Strip now. Caesars down 26% year-to-date. MGM Resorts off by nearly 10%. Look, group business is rebounding. The Las Vegas Convention Center told me it's booking a record number of shows for 2022. International travel is back. On top of all of that, you had leisure travel that lifted Las Vegas to record-setting profit margins last year. However, inflation is a real worry, and not just for the investors, but also for the gaming CEOs who see it and rate hikes as the biggest challenge this year, according to a survey that will be released next week by the AGA. Derek Stevens is the CEO of privately owned Circa, and he told me, look, he's just starting to see the impact from high gas prices for that drive-in crowd to Las Vegas, really important from Southern California. His telltale metric is shrinking ATM withdrawals. He says it's a leading indicator. Gaming analysts, though, Scott, write that historically there's not a lot of correlation between fuel costs and gaming revenue. So they're going to be looking to see whether those bookings hold, whether people keep here, and whether they spend as much when they come. All right. Contessa, I appreciate that. That's Contessa Brewer live in Las Vegas. Jim, you own Wynn. Uh, Still not making any money, right? I mean, it's still reporting a net loss. When does that turn around? Yeah, it seems like it's one. Well, it seems like it's one thing after another, you know, whether it's concerns about Macau or, as Contessa very ably pointed out, what's going on right now is concern about the future. When we have all this talk about a recession, whether it's 2023 or later this year, the stocks that feel that, that are the canary in the coal mine, are casino stocks. Now, if you've listened to me, you know that I'm bullish, right? Scott, of course, you know that. 
um, you know that I think that inflation has peaked. I look at, you know, whether it's goods uh, in the supply chain, whether it's labor force participation rate, I see indications that it has peaked so that that canary in the coal mine may have just been taking a nap and is ready to start, you know, flying around its cage and chirping. Uh, I, I think we should be owning wind resorts and the other casinos now. But see, Pete, here, here's what I, I need to sort of reconcile. And maybe it's not just a, a, a wind-specific story, but the casinos more broadly. If the focal point of growth and certainly steady business operation is in Macau, and then you have this zero COVID yes. policy within China, um, which is a disaster, how does that make me feel comfortable about owning anything that has such a heavy reliance on that part of the world right now? Especially when you talk about Win and Las Vegas Sands and you talk about the percentage of the revenue that you're getting from Macau, Scott, you're exactly right. I mean, I think that's been the issue all along. I don't, I, obviously, we know I was out there in Las Vegas back in November of this past year. It was bubbling, it was great. Everything was fun. It felt like it was fairly normal. Yes, people had masks on inside and everything else, but that obviously things have changed and it's gotten much more open. That's, that's been great. And that's why we're seeing such great numbers there. But the problem is, what, when you look at what the revenue by percentage is coming from Macau, that's huge, Scott. I mean, that's, that's massive. And because of that, I think until that day happens and until that, you know, we start to see something change over there in China, we are going to see uh, these struggle, I think. That's why I've been hesitant to jump back in. I was a guy who used to trade win and was owned the stock mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Las Vegas Sands, same thing. But I have not touched them since the pandemics began because I've just continued to look at this and see when are we going to see the reopenings that we need to see where the real revenue is made. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I remember that. Um, you had owned it for a while. We'll take a break. Yeah. We'll do final trades next. Four o'clock Eastern overtime. Tom Lee, Josh Brown. Chris Heisey, Liz Young. We got a big show coming up. I hope you'll join me. A few hours from now, let's do final trades. Courtney, you're first. Look, I talked about Goldman Sachs. Goldman is my final trade. It's trading at about 1.1 times book. Goldman doesn't go below book value. It's not getting credit for their asset and wealth management businesses. We all know banking is going to deplete. Its first quarter is going to look terrible for investment banking. It's the rest of that business is why you own Goldman Sachs and why you better get in here. Okay. Ahead of the earnings tomorrow morning, uh, obviously. Yep. Uh, who's got J.P. Morgan? Whoever does go. Rob Seachin. So I completely disagree with what was said early in the show by the headline numbers. They saw healthy deposit growth, net interest income and capital markets revenues were above expectations. And I think you buy the stock on the dip. Expenses were also in line. To me, it's crazy, that assessment. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, Farmer Jim. Union Pacific, if you believe my theory about economic activity picking up, goods need to be shipped, and rail is the way to ship them. Okay. Joe T. Pent-up travel demand, you buy Marriott, which I purchased in early March. All right. And quickly, Pete, to you. I'm just going to give you a Vodafone. This has got a lot of call buying in order to the upside, Scott. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.